Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Smiling faces for a nice cold morning. I've been alone a lot of this week because Vic is um, away on a family trip and so I've just been looking after myself and my cat. Um, Mowgli's still alive. Happy to report that. I'm not so well. <laughs> I've got a bit of a flu at the moment. Um, so help me out. Be interactive with me this morning because I think that today's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for me as well. And I'm really excited about the word, but uh, I do need a bit of help this morning. So if um, something is hitting home for you, <laughs> just saw Cliff. <laughs> He's like, all right. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I just had to find that out. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so help me out. Just say amen. Say, preach it, brother. Say, hop on the bus. Whatever you want to say. Just so that I know that you're awake, alive. You're still here with me. Um, but, you know, I'm really excited for Momentum Offering. Honestly, uh, when we first came up with this um, uh, well, we've done a Momentum Offering before, and it's always a special time for us. And, um, and this year, when we thought about what kind of project we wanted to do and what we wanted to, to see sowed into our future, and we thought about the hub, I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. But honestly, I think it was only the last couple of weeks as we began to pray more into it that I was like, man, this is actually a really significant time for us as a church. And, and you know, I wrote that letter out for, uh, for you guys to read and, and all of that. Uh, but, but, but can I just say that I really think that this is going to be a massive step for us as a church. This, this really will go towards us uh, uh, planning for the future into our future as a church. Uh, but also, like what Sandy was talking about, we actually get to have a space in the town of Vic Park. We become landowners in the town of Vic Park. We're saying we're here to stay. We're here to continue to serve and continue to inspire people, uh, to help them find life and all of that kind of great stuff that we want to do as a church. And so, yeah, like what Sandy said, please pray into it. Make sure you don't throw these envelopes away because next week you'll actually be putting these envelopes into the collection boxes. And so, so take that home, at least pray about it. And it's not about the amount that you uh, uh, can or, or want to give. It, it really is about the heart. Do you really see this as an opportunity to sow into what is happening in the life of our church? And lots of exciting things are happening. And then what will happen is that on the following Sunday in the evening, on the 26th of August, we will be having our third birthday party. I said that you guys need to help me out. You guys are terrible this morning. That's right. I will get on the bus because it's not going to be here. It's all the way in Maddington, not far away, actually. Uh, but we'll be going to 1895 Albany Highway. And that evening, we're going to have our third birthday party. Can you believe we're three years old already? It's crazy. And uh, we'll be doing our momentum offering reveal that evening itself. So, so make sure you come along for that. That's going to be lots of fun. But today we start a brand new series. It's called Redefining Success. And uh, I find like a lot of people are actually quite excited about this topic already. And I am excited about it as well because uh, I wrote a blog about it. You can go back and read that if you want. But I think success has been something that I haven't really quite understood. And I think God over the last couple of years has been talking to me about what success is and and what I've learned about success or what you define as success is that your definition of success determines where you're going to go in life 
You know, if you think that success means having a small business that is uh, churning money, then you will get yourself a small business and hopefully try to make it profitable. You know, if you think that success is being married and having five kids, you will do everything you can to get married and to have those five kids. You get what I mean? When we, I see an amen at the back corner. Go, Mitchell, you're still young. I prophesied 10, 10 over you, double. But you know, whatever you see as success is whatever you are going to try to get through. For some of you, maybe success is getting through high school or getting through university. You know, that's a big thing for you. And, and, and it's going to spur you on each and every day. For some of you, maybe success is just getting up each and every day because of circumstances and situations that you are going through. Whatever your definition of success is, is what you're going to pull, uh, pour your soul into you, is what you're going to pour your effort into. And I love that God is for our success. And, and quite often, people quote this verse. I actually went on Google and I searched up um, success. Bible, literally does those two words. And one of the top articles came up was Bible verses to pray over your small business. And obviously the top verse that came up for many of you who have been around, you, you probably guessed this, but it was Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And we use this verse, and I love this verse because in, 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 it is a verse that shows God's heart for us. He wants, he wants us to succeed. He wants us to prosper. But I think that sometimes we think that that means whatever we define as success rather than what God defines as, a, as success. Interestingly, if you actually read the, the, the verses preceding this one, you will find that it was... Not a very good space right now that the Israelites, whom this verse was particularly for, the, the situation that they, they were actually in exile. They did not have their homeland anymore. They were defeated. They were slaves. They were second-class citizens in this other space with no hope of being able to move up society's uh, hierarchy. They, they, they were stuck. They were exiled. And in that space, it wasn't like they were doing so well and God's like, yeah, you see, I've always planned to bless you. They were in a terrible spot and God says to them, I've got plans for you. So maybe our version of success needs to be switched around a little bit. I remember a few years ago, I was a young pastor and I was just chatting with one of the ladies uh, from our church. She was a small business owner. And um, I don't know how we were just chatting and we started talking about money. And I just said something along the lines of, I don't think I'll ever have, uh, I don't think I'll ever make a million dollars. And um, she looked at me in horror and she rebuked me and she told me that I was cursing myself. She said, how dare you curse yourself? Don't you know that God is able to give you a million dollars. I think every Christian should be praying for a million dollars so that they could give it away for kingdom purposes. And I was a little bit shocked in the moment. I didn't really know how to um, respond in that moment. I was kind of like, um, maybe for you. Let's finish the conversation because it's really weird. Um, and honestly, this, this lady, lovely lady, and I honestly believe that she sees that million dollar mark as a point of success for herself, being a small business owner, 
She sees her whole life as being about uh, generating income to be able to, uh, to resource uh, uh, kingdom purposes. I honestly believe that that's a heart. I honestly think that she's passionate about it, obviously. And I honestly think that she did not think uh, that I was a, 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 a Christian that was lacking in faith or anything. It was just that she was really passionate about it. But I had a problem with it because I don't know if God necessarily wants each of us to have a million dollars. I heard a pastor preach once, and I, it really stuck with me, is that if the message that I'm preaching now doesn't work in the context of a slum in a third world nation, then maybe it's not timeless truth from the principles of God. It's just an opinion that I have right now. And I don't know if God necessarily wants us to all have a million dollars. And the interesting thing about money is that a million dollars 20 years ago is very different to a million dollars today. So does God want you to have a million dollars? Or maybe in 20 years, will it be $20 million? How does this whole thing work? What, what is success? What, what does God want to help you prosper in? And that is something that I think we need to understand because we all have a definition of success. Whether you like it or not, you have a, ver you have a version of success that you are holding on to. The very fact that you are still alive and that you are still getting out of bed means that you have a vision of success that you are pursuing. And I find that that vision of success is often shaped by our culture. It is shaped by our world. It is shaped by our parents. It is shaped by our experiences. And quite often, we don't stop to articulate what success is for us. We just go along in life. As a pastor, I know that I was brought up in many different thoughts of what success was for me as a pastor. And I'll be sharing that through this message and I'll be sharing about how those versions of success were actually not what God had in mind. Some of those things were icing on the cake maybe, but they weren't the cake. And so this, over this series, I hope that you stop, you slow down enough to think about what success means for you. And what I'm hoping to do is to use the Word of God and to uncover what I believe are timeless principles that apply to every single person all across the world. I'm setting myself that standard, that kind of bar. You can bring this podcast to the slums in India and the message of God's truth should still apply. That's what I'm going to hope to do over the next couple of weeks and then Pastor Beck will be speaking uh, in week three of this series. But we want to bring you timeless principles that you can measure your personal version of success by. And the honest truth is, as much as I can give you this, these um, principles, you still need to make it yours. Because for me, my vision of success is to lead a church where people love God and worship God. If I say that that is everyone's vision of success, then um, all of you guys will probably be doing it wrong. You get what I mean? So we all have a version of success that we need to articulate but I'm hoping that these principles will undergird what you are hoping to do. This morning, we are going to look at Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. And just to give you a bit of a context, this is a story about Jesus and what he was doing. Not so much a story, but an account. And he was in the middle of a message. He was talking about what it meant to, um, to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And he was saying that, you know what, you are going to come under persecution from time to time because you call me God. 
which is kind of a little bit um, scary. Uh, but obviously someone didn't quite get what Jesus was saying because in verse 13, we hear someone in the crowd shouting out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Have you ever been at a conference where there's a Q&A session and there's someone who's so obviously in their own world that they forget that they're actually other human beings, living, breathing human beings in the room. And they ask the most specific question that couldn't possibly hope to apply to anyone else. I remember being at these Christian conferences, and we, we uh, back then I was into, I'm still into music, but back then I was heavily involved in music, and we went for these Q&As, and, and they always get questions about worship leading and stuff, and then you get some really selfish people that will shout out, I'm going to make one up, because I can't remember any, uh, I have one leg, how am I supposed to worship lead? You know, they, they say something ridiculous that's like, um, why don't you have a conversation with the teacher a little bit later? I find out that's the same scenario for this guy. Jesus is talking about persecution. Jesus is talking about the things, the trials that you will go through as a follower of Christ. And he's like, teacher, tell my brother to share. It's like, how old are you, three? It says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. See, when... You're so caught up in a vision of success. You would do anything to get there. For this man, this inheritance maybe was a shortcut to his version of success. I want to be a landowner. I've got this inheritance. So I don't care that there literally, it says that there were thousands around Jesus at this point in time. How many of them had inheritance issues? One. Yet in the midst of the thousands, he would say, my brother is being selfish and he needs to change and teacher, you need to tell him right now. When you're not careful about your definition of success, it's going to drive you to do some really stupid things. It's going to drive you in front of thousands and then you're just going to say the most stupid thing <laughs> because your vision of success is driving you towards a certain point. And Jesus replies to this man, man, man who appointed you who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you then he said to him watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed life does not consist in an abundance of possessions now i want to pause there because when i read that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions it really stuck with me Life does not consist, life is not found, life is not in amongst a collection, an accumulation of possessions. And as much as in this moment, Jesus was talking about a physical inheritance towards this man, so probably money, maybe a, a land, but I think we can draw that principle and get a little bit larger picture with that. Anything you accumulate, life is not found in it. And I found in my life, money has never been a, a big driver. Well, maybe it was when I was younger. I can't remember. But it, it was never like the biggest driver in my life. I think partly it's because my mom and dad looked after me and made sure that we had everything that we needed. And I'm finding lots of people in this next generation, money is not necessarily the biggest driver in, in their lives. But, but I found that I was still driven to accumulate lots of different things. 
I was driven to accumulate affirmation. I wanted people to say, Nate, you're doing a good job. Or Nate, you're really good at that thing. Or Nate, Nate, you, you, you're, you're actually the best at that kind of thing. I, I was driven to accumulate affirmation. I was driven to accumulate uh, well, in that sense, uh, accumulate a relationship, a romantic relationship, because I thought that if I had that relationship, it would speak into my insecurity and I'll be okay from there. Have you ever said something like, if only I had that, then I will be? If only I had that. What, what is that, that for you? I remember uh, working with this couple in, in, in a uh, marriage counseling uh, scenario and and it was really interesting because the two of them had polar opposite expectations about what marriage should be. And, and they both had different ideas of what success as a marriage should look like. And for this man in particular, providing for his family was so, so, so important. And you could understand it from the background that he was from. He, 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 uh, he had a really difficult upbringing. He, he had to really look after his family. He knew how hard it was for him as a, as a teenager even, needing to try to support his family. And so he wanted to give his family the best. But because of that underlying motivation, that driver towards success, or that version of success he was saying stuff like if only I had that car with the five-star safety rating with 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 the leather seeds and the turbo booster then my family will know that I'm a good provider when I if I if only I could buy that house with the four bedrooms and the 15 bathrooms, I don't know what it was. But what is it for you? But if only I could get that, then, then I can prove that I am a good husband. And so he worked weekends. He took extra shifts. He literally broke his body, working more than he should, because that money would then be able to give him that accumulation that spoke into his identity. In that same room, talking to this man who felt underappreciated by his wife because his wife never told him how good a provider he was. Because she wasn't looking for a provider like that. She was looking for a husband who would be around with their young child. Two versions of success. And unfortunately for this man, he was driven to find life in an accumulation of possessions. What is it that you are looking for? What is it that you're trying to accumulate? What is it that speaks so deeply to you that you just feel like you need to get? What is it that's driving you to that space? Because in this moment, can I just say, Jesus is saying to you, life does not consist in that accumulation. I had to learn that for myself, and, and, and I learned it in many different ways. And I, honestly, two ways this plays out. Either you get disappointed because you never get to that point, and you get frustrated, you think that God doesn't like you, you think that God doesn't want to bless you, you think that God doesn't have plans to prosper you, because he hasn't given me that. 
or you reach that point and you find out how empty it is. I remember my first uh, and only other romantic relationship. I thought I had made it. I thought that this was what it meant to be loved. I accumulated that feeling of being loved. But it was taken away just like that. Gone. And suddenly my whole identity fell apart. Why? Because my life was never meant to be consisting in that space. It was never meant to be put in that kind of rocky ground. It was never meant to be there. And I was looking and looking and so much so that I made things work out for me logically in my mind. I painted this picture that I was okay. But honestly, life wasn't found in that space. So where is life found? Jesus goes on to tell this parable, really interesting parable. He says, a rich man, the ground of a certain rich man, and that's an important little uh, uh, point. This was a rich man, so just hold that in mind. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? the ground of a certain rich man note that this is a rich person this was a person of abundance already he was a rich man and how did he get rich he got rich because he was a farmer and this time round, we have and this year we see that he had an increase in his harvest he was already a rich person and then there was an increase in the harvest Holding that in mind. And so what he decides to do is that his barns are too small, and so he decides to tear them down and build bigger ones. Now, I, I, I was thinking about that, and I think that there's something really interesting going on here because I don't think that you would just tear down your barns for one big harvest. You just sell it. Why would you need a bigger barn than what you already have unless you're expecting that increase to continue every single year. And this is where I started to think about this man. And I think that what he thought he had achieved was that he became master of the increase. He became master of the increase. I had this increase this year, and so I am going to have that increase next year again. This is my new normal. Make sense? You wouldn't tear down your bounds for one increase. You would tear down your bounds and build bigger ones because you believe that that increase is your new norm. I think I'm preaching better than you guys are responding. Does that make sense? He thinks that he is the master of the increase. And this is a really important thing that we need to note. Because for many of our definitions of success, it requires us to become master of our increase. It requires us to be in control of some kind of growth. It needs us to be in control of some kind of something that often is outside of our control. I remember that when I was a, a campus pastor back in Centerpoint Church, uh, uh, I had a team of 80 and we were going to plant this campus out with 80 people and we took uh, um, this team of 80 and we grew it to about 160 in one year. Guess what I told to myself? I'm master of the double. I've got this. 
And soon after that, we planted Lift Church. And Lift Church started with 38 people. In the first year, by the end of the first year, we grew to about 50 people. And I was like, not quite double, but I'm still not too bad. I still know how to increase stuff. Then the second year came. And how many of you know that the second year tends to be the worst in whatever situation you find yourself? Year two, in your child's life, they become a demon. Yeah? Year two in marriage, I don't know. Actually, my year two was really good. Tell Beck that I said that. You know, this is second year, we had this crazy plateau. We didn't grow in a whole patch in this second year. What does it say about me? Well, it said that I wasn't that good. It said that I lost mastery of something. And it really got me to a place where it's like, what should I be doing next? And it really drove me to, to, to try things and to make things happen. And the honest truth is that I never was the master of the increase. When, when did God give me the opportunity to control people's lives and say, you will come to church today and you really need a church, so you better get in there. Oh, you, yes. Where did I get this thought that I had control over that? Where did this man have this thought that out of the blue, now he was already a successful farmer. He was already a rich man. He already knew how to do things well. But this was an over and above situation. And he thought that he brought it upon himself. And that's a real problem. And we think that we're masters of our increase. When the increase comes, we go, look at me. When the situation calls for you to have a deeper understanding that God has just entrusted you with more, it was never you that earned that increase. You were just entrusted with more. When we base our version of success on being able to master the increase in our life, you're going to get sorely disappointed. I thought that success for Lift Church was doubling every year. Honest. God had different plans. And I was never in charge of that doubling. But sometimes in church circles, we kind of talk like it is. So how's your church going? Oh, yeah, yeah, we grew. So it's good because we're doing good. So we managed to grow it. It's like, really? You managed to grow it? The Bible tells us that we can plant seeds, we can water, but God always brings the growth. You know, if you're searching for a position, a new level of authority, do you know that God says that he places every single leadership position? It wasn't you, it was him. Finance says God gives seed to the sower. He's the one that brought that increase. We need to be careful about how we are defining our success. So how do we actually define that success then? First, we need to have an understanding about what our lives look like. And in this parable, in this story that Jesus told in order to bring this moral out he says god said to the man this very night your life will be demanded from you now i didn't like that verse i don't like that verse why 
Because it says God demanded his life. It's a bit scary, isn't it? How many of you guys like, yeah, yeah, I believe in a God who demands my life. And it's like, no, we don't talk about it. We talk about the amazing grace, sinking deep in God's love, and he demands your life. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's the honest truth. When we get this perspective that we own our lives, then we think that we can master the increase. But when we get this perspective that my life was never mine, that God is the one that's holding me together. The Bible teaches us that it is by God's will that we even are able to draw breath. We don't even really control the breath that we are taking in. Try holding your breath right now. See how long you can go. Your body kicks in according to God's biological laws that causes you to take that breath unless someone is helping you to die, which is not going to happen in this room. So please do not try it. But when we don't even control how our bodies react to certain things, how do we really think that we're in control of anything at all? I mean, God gives us and entrusts us with this life that we've been given. But what happens is that God is saying, in this passage when he says God demands it, it's not so much like, I want that, but it's more like it's coming back to me. It was always mine. When we take a perspective that my life is not my own, it was bought at a cost, then perhaps we don't get so caught up in trying to prove anything and try to accumulate stuff. God demanded stewardship. Each and every single one of us are stewards of what God has entrusted us with. And when we take that perspective, then this next line helps us to see what success is. Jesus finished off that parable by saying, this is how, in verse 21, it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich to work God. Is not rich to work God. Now, again, in this little bit, is a bit weird because God doesn't really need your money. I don't think God uses Aussie dollars in heaven. So I really feel like a, a can of lift. Oh, can one of those Aussie churches give me an offering right now? Can someone be rich toward me, please? I don't think that's how God works. Anyone think that's how God works? Okay, cool. We're going to write church. I've been teaching you to write stuff. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your life. God doesn't need any of that stuff. So why does it say that God wants us to be rich toward him? Well, when we understand that we are simply stewards of where we are at, then we understand that that money was never meant to be for me to keep but it was meant for me to flow it through. Does that make sense? Being rich to work God is not being rich to work God himself. It's not shouting God lunch. It's about being rich towards God's purposes. It's being rich towards his kingdom plan. It's being rich towards what he is trying to establish on earth, and he's graciously pulled us into that kind of a life so that we get to have a purpose and meaning for every day. Yes, when we are rich to where God, what it means is that I am rich towards His purposes and what He's trying to accomplish in me and through me. In other words, a, a good principle for success that we need to learn is whether you are a conduit or whether you are a dam. I've got this picture up there so that you can stare at it and hopefully it gives you a bit of a perspective. A conduit is something that allows uh, something to flow through, whereas a dam tries to accumulate. And if you live a dam, life, that's right, I didn't swear, 
I didn't. But if you live a damn life, that means you're trying to accumulate. You're trying to hold back. The blessings of God is for me. The blessings of God is, 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 I need to keep it. I need to hold it in. Whereas a conduit allows God to flow through, the blessings of God to flow through. And I learned this a little while ago. When you're a conduit and you allow God's water to flow through you, you're still going to get wet. You're still going to get wet with God's blessing. It's still going to flow through and it's going to be fresh. It's not going to be like this. You know, this, this picture makes the water look so nice, doesn't it, in that dam? Well, in Singapore, we've got lots of dams. They don't look like that. They look green, algae, white, still water. It's not flowing. There's no life in it. Or it has the wrong kind of life in it because it's not flowing. Are you a dam or are you a conduit? What are you conduiting in your life? It's the word now. You want to know a principle for success? Maybe put it in more Christian terms. What are you sowing into? What are you sowing into? What are you pouring out in order that God's purposes are accomplished? Let me give you a few examples. It's not just finances. In my life, I'm sowing into my future by studying. I've put in a whole bunch of time to study, which is not always easy because life gets full and there's all kinds of pressures, but no, no I want to study. I want to get better because God's got more for me, and so I want to sow into me. There's nothing wrong with sowing into you if you know that God's got more for you and that you need to get bigger. Yeah? There's no problem with that at all. So I'm making sure that I'm bigger by sowing into me, by studying. I'm also sowing into my marriage. Five years on, and I'm learning more than ever. I need to sow. I need to give of myself in order to have a healthy, thriving marriage. And if I want to see Beck uh, get, get into the spaces that God wants her to be in, then God's put me in that space to steward this relationship and make sure that she is secure and that she's able to propel herself in the future. And God's got so much more for Beck, and it's really exciting to see this unfold. But let me tell you, I've had to learn how to be a conduit in her life as well. I've had to. Because I used to be like two different people. I've got my dream. You've got your dream. And we were just like, hey, let's go on. No, no, no. God's actually put us together so we can both be conduits into each other's lives. With our, our finances, a momentum offering is a, is a great chance to be a conduit. I'm not saying this to get you to give any more, but I'm just asking you to think about it. Is God's blessing flowing through your life or is it stagnant? Is it life-giving or is it dead? Is it moving or is it, or is it plateaued? Because life doesn't consist in possessions. Life consists in life-giving. That's what God has got for us. The momentum offering next week is a, is a perfect example of something that we can do. I want to finish off with a bit of a, a lesson that I've been personally going through and learning myself about. Another area that I've had to learn how to give in. Um, I, let's just get the band up so that I don't go too much overtime. But a few weeks ago, I learned something about myself that I was a bit shocked by. Um, and God sometimes does this. Because he has the best, he has my best interests at heart. And so he, he highlighted something to me. He highlighted to me that 
because of a relational hurt that I had experienced earlier this year, that I had stopped giving affection. That's the words that God gave to me. Maybe it's, you might want to think about what it means for you, but, but basically, because, um, and I, I guess all my life I've grown up kind of been in a little bit of the shadow of my sister. She was always seen as a leader, always seen as the one that people wanted to go to because she's friendly, and I'm not, honestly. I'm okay with that. I'm learning. And so people always go to her, and they'll talk to her about their problems and all of that, and my sister would love on them and all that kind of stuff. And I think in the midst of all of that, I was like, you know what? Relationships are just too complicated. And so I kind of cut off that ability or, or my desire to really sow into people's lives. And uh, on top of that, I had a relational hurt at the start of this year, and I didn't know it. I didn't know it because I didn't allow myself to feel it. I was in that space where I just cut it off, and, uh, that, 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 that sharp emotion, if you will. I didn't allow that to affect me. And so I'd, I was in this conference, and, and God spoke to me, and he said, Nate, you, you, you're hurt. And I'm like, no, I'm not. So I know me better than you know me, God, because I'm me. Well, God didn't let that go. So he put this person's face in my head, and um, I just remember going like, what? <laughs> Honestly, it wasn't like, it wasn't straight away for me. I was like, really, God? That person? I really don't think so. But the more I was in that moment, God continued to show me uh, on that safe space, I guess. He, he peeled back the layers, and I went, I'm hurt. I'm actually hurt. And then I realized that because of these kinds of hurts, I didn't love people the way that God wanted me to love people. It was a little bit crazy because I thought that I was doing okay. I honestly thought that I was, I was doing quite well in this regard, but no. So God put someone on my heart, someone that um, he was like, no, you, you're going to love this person more than you already have. You're going to learn how to love this person. And oh my gosh, it's been weird. Why? Because of all these emotions and all this care concern. I'm like, is this what it means to care and love a person? Then I don't want this. This is weird. This is, you know, my day stops because I'm worried about this person. And it's like, really? It used to be so much simpler. But then that's where God was like, yes, it's not meant to be easy to be a conduit sometimes it's easy just to receive and not give but let me tell you something i told you the, the the harsh end of it but ever since i've allowed myself to feel and to work in that space and i'm a very logical person for emotional people don't take this as the cue for you to go ballistic with your emotions this is not one of those chats i'm not saying that i'm talking about my experience as a very tempered, rational person, the more I allowed myself to see and to care, the more I found life. Honestly, that affected my marriage. I started to talk to Beck more and say, hey, I'm actually realizing that I've got these emotions. And Beck was like, you're human? You actually feel stuff? I was like, yes, yes, I do. Thanks be to God. 
the more I poured out, the more I found. The more I poured out, the more I found. This is not a message about give us your money. Don't hear that. Don't allow the enemy to steal from what's taking place. Success is not found in accumulation. Success is found in how you are sowing into the future uh, and into God's kingdom purposes. The more you sow, the more you will find. The more you sow, the more you will find. What are the things in your life that you need to sow into? Are there areas in your life that you've been holding back because of hurt? Are there areas that you've been holding back because you're worried, because of, because of fear? That was something that God put on my heart. There are many people here this morning who haven't been sowing because you are so scared. You are so, do you know why people hoard stuff? It's because they are scared. They, they are scared that they're going to need that one day. They're scared that if I give away my, my affections, then, then, I, then I'm going to be empty. I'm not going to know whether I'm going to have enough. Uh, I'm not going to sow my money because I'm not sure about what tomorrow looks like. I'm not, going, I'm, not, I'm not talking about carelessly sowing, by the way. I'm talking about strategic sowing, and we might talk about that one of the other weeks. But I'm talking about the fact that your predisposition is to hoard. If your predisposition is to hoard, is because of fear. Is nearly always because of fear. When you live in fear, you do not find life. When you live in fear, you're constantly worried. You're constantly anxious. The more I allow myself to trust God, the more I release that fear, the more I'm a conduit, the more I find life. That is the pattern that is found in God's Word. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Success isn't found in accumulation. And God wants to allow things to flow this morning. You know, we don't really get to flow, allow God to flow, if we've never really accepted God's love for us. There are more and more people that are telling me, Nate, I know that God loves me, but I don't really think He does. Not in those words, in many different ways. But I've been standing and sitting with so many people that say, I know that you talk about that God of love, but that is not the same God that I know. And nearly always it relates to some other person that has hurt them, often their dads. Father's Day is coming up. We're going to talk about that. But there's this thing where if you don't allow God's love in, nothing is flowing. Nothing flows. Because God is our source. The reason why I can allow things to go and allow it to flow is because I have a God of abundance. And He says, according to His riches and glory, He shall supply all of my needs. And so the more I see Him as God, the more I see Him as a God who loves me and cares for me, the more I trust and I pour myself into that, the more I am able to give. So this morning, I want to give you a chance to accept Jesus into your life as the first step. For some of you, maybe you have actually walked away from that. Maybe things have stolen away from your sense that God loves you. Well, this morning, maybe you want to say this prayer with me to invite Jesus back into your life, into your heart, and to say, God, I know that you love me. I know that you first gave. We can be conduits because God was the first conduit. We love because He first loved. Do you know that Jesus forsook His deity, the rights of being God, so that He could take on flesh to 
be one of us in order that he could be the ultimate sacrifice for our sin so that he could unlock our future in eternity but also here on earth that is what god did for us he never withhold he is never withheld from you and he never will withhold from you whatever you need that is the god that we serve and so if you want to ask that jesus into your life why don't we all just bow our heads close our eyes and everyone say this prayer with me dear jesus i invite you into my life i accept your love for me come into my life wash me clean and make me whole amen thank you for tuning in today if you would like to find out more about lift check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au